So before I get started this morning, I do want to prepare you. Some of you will love this message while others will see this as meddling, uh, as things that maybe the pastor shouldn't talk about. That being said, the, the scriptures do speak to many, if not all, of the things that our society faces today. So as I address these things, my purpose is not merely to weigh in another person's opinion. My goal is to allow the scriptures to speak to our current culture. First, let me just say that I am very grateful for the staff that helps to make ministry happen so well at this church. They are a blessing and we do enjoy each other and having fun with each other, sometimes at the expense of one another. For example, I recently harassed Pastor Lee for both being vertically and follically challenged. We joked about me doing that this morning and then having Amy come up and slap me in defense of her husband. <laughs> Similar to what happened at a Hollywood event today, I am so glad we decided against that. Let me just comment on that situation for a moment. I normally would try to avoid any mention of what happens in Hollywood, but since I use it as humor for the introduction, I probably should share some biblical truth with you this morning related to this. There are three assertions, again, all based out of Scripture. First, regardless of your opinions regarding those involved in this week's incident, the overwhelming majority of those celebrities who most Americans have idolized are in need of Jesus. It is completely irrelevant as to how good they may be. They need Jesus. That's why such immorality and twisted reason continually pours out of Hollywood and even our other entertainment sources like Disney, which I will actually mention later in today's service. Second, as a child of God, we ought not to idolize any of these celebrities. That would also include those outside of Hollywood, perhaps even athletes or coaches. They are mere men and women created in God's image, just like you and me. And they just happen to have a big stage. And while others may be drawn to their influence, they pale in comparison to the one who has already demonstrated his great love for us. And I know that we use the term idol quite often today, at times without even thinking about what we're actually talking about. An idol can obviously be a graven image, or it can be a person that has taken a position of extreme importance or value in our lives. But the scriptures are very clear that we are not to have idols in our lives. We are to have only one God, and the good news is that we only need one God, and his name is Jesus. And finally, regardless of how nice these actors and directors may seem or how moral or immoral they may actually be, every one of them is in need of God's people praying for them. I say that because I know that prayer works. In fact, we ought to be praying for many more people than just those who are in Hollywood. But this is a good place for us to start. Pray that God would send revival among these people. 
I mentioned that they seem to have a great amount of influence, a bigger stage. Well, could you imagine what might happen if revival were to break out among these celebrities? Perhaps their influence could be used for something incredibly great. That is not our message for today, but it's a good place for us to start. We can't completely ignore the things that are happening in our world today. Well, today's message is actually a part two sermon. Last week, we started looking at the triumphal entry. And as we look at the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, there are things that sometimes we leave out. Actually, although we often separate two events, they are a part of the same event. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles back to the same passage we were in last week, Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to begin in verse 6, but this time we will go a little bit further. As you turn, I will remind you of what is happening. Jesus' ministry is nearing the cross. He has amazed people with his message of hope and healing for the past three plus years. And for the most part, people are either ready to anoint him as their next king of Israel or to have him killed. So listen again to the triumphal entry story. But again, this week I'll go a little bit further. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 6, says this. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's where we stopped last week. The rest of this is the same story. It's just the other half of the story. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise? I know for many of us, we've never connected these two stories, but actually there are some similarities, even in what the people are saying that tell us this was all one big event, not to mention there are some other things that we'll look at a little later in the service that dictate this was one continuous event. Jesus rides into town amidst a great celebration. People are laying their cloaks out on the road and cutting palm branches as a gesture similar to those who would roll out the red carpet for a great celebrity. And as they do so, 
They also declare who this Jesus truly is. He is the son of David, and he comes in the name of the Lord. And in addition, he is referred to as a prophet from Nazareth. He is the Messiah whom all of Israel had been waiting for, and truly all of humanity had been waiting for for a very long time. And it should be noted that these are bold declarations that are being made about Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 32, people are talking about who this Jesus is, and Jesus is referred to as having a demon because of the things he said and did. So now to declare that he is the Messiah is actually a somewhat radical statement. And there is also the concern that one might be called a heretic. In that day and time, if you were accused of heresy, there was a great punishment for it. The reality is people can speak heresy today and nobody even bats an eye at it. But for someone to be called a heretic in their day, they could actually be killed. Therefore, this is a bold declaration. Jesus Christ is the son of David. He is the Messiah. But the passage does not end at verse 11. Verse 12 reveals what the disciples and Jesus do upon entering town. Remember that he's already wept over a broken and ignorant people, and that's not an insult, but a realization that they truly didn't understand what or who was sitting right in front of them. He has come to redeem these people because he loves them too much to leave them in their sin. Perhaps one would have imagined that this would turn into some type of love feast, some type of feel-good celebration, but that would not be correct. Jesus' first stop upon entering Jerusalem is the temple, the place where one would expect to find God's people. And of course, with God's people, we would expect to see godliness, but that also is not correct not what we find. And it should be noted that this is actually the second time that we see Jesus cleansing the temple. John chapter 2 records such an event at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, and now three years later, apparently not much seems to have changed. The first thing that I want you to see in our passage today is that Jesus halts the ungodly practices of the church. He puts a stop to it. He's not okay with it. He wasn't okay with it three years ago, and he's not okay with it now. Have you ever heard the, the phrase WWJD or what would Jesus do? This may come as a surprise to you, but that was the slogan for a Wesleyan youth convention back in the 1980s before it became a popular slogan and marketing tool. Generally, when people ask that question, what would Jesus do, they're expecting an answer like, well, he'd love everybody, or he'd live a holy life. Both of those answers would be correct. However, Jesus also would turn over the tables of the money changers, and he would chase out a bunch of thieves. In that, uh, in that passage in John chapter 2, it tells us that he actually made whips and he drove out the money changers. So it wasn't just turning over their tables. It was basically, get out of here. What you're doing is not right. 
And that doesn't mean that we need a church full of angry people, eager to find fault in every person who walks through the doors of the church. But it does mean that God has high expectations for the church, and we should too. So what would cause Jesus to become so aggressive that day? It's important to realize that he wasn't upset over what other people were wearing in the temple. He wasn't upset about the style of music that was being played in the temple. He wasn't upset over the things that have tended to divide the church in recent generations. What he is upset about was the fact that God's house had become so corrupted by sin that it no longer even resembled what it was intended to be. Keeping this in its proper context, his objection specifically dealt with some financial abuses that were occurring in the temple. I'm going to simplify this so as to not take forever to explain this, but the Jewish people were required to bring a sacrifice to the temple as they came for worship. But it couldn't be just any sacrifice. The sacrifice was typically an animal, but it had to be pure and it had to be spotless. Of course, the sacrifice would need to be inspected prior to being offered, and it was inspected typically by the priest. Well, what if your sacrifice were deemed unacceptable? Maybe it had some type of blemish or imperfection to it. Well, that, that's no problem. You can just buy one of the animals that they had for sale here in the temple at a markup, of course. And, of course, who would be selling in the temple? It was actually the family of the priests. Remember, the same one who was determining whether your sacrifice was good enough. But then what do you do with the animal that you had brought with you, the one that was unacceptable, unsuitable for sacrifice. Often the animal was now deemed useless and therefore it would just be left at the temple. Well, that's great for the priests because they could then use that animal for somebody else's sacrifice and they could sell it again. Sure, it was unacceptable a few moments ago, but the priest could now charge the next person an exorbitant amount for an animal that was about to be sacrificed. And now somehow it had become acceptable for sacrifice. Can you see how Jesus might refer to the temple as a den of robbers or a den of thieves? They were ripping people off. This was all about deception. It was all about personal gain. They were no longer treating this as an honor and a privilege. Of course, they weren't the first ones to do such things. Do you remember the story of Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas? He was the high priest and his sons were tasked with administering the sacrifices unto the Lord. But they abused their role and the consequence was God's wrath. They would be killed for their actions. The point is that God has never been okay with the people of God perverting something that represents God. Let me take a moment and challenge you as an individual. It's easy for us to talk about the church as an organization, and we're going to get back to that in a moment. Let me challenge you for a moment that you are intended to represent God. 
And he is not okay when we begin to pervert the representation of God even within us. The way you live matters. The rest of the world is watching, but even more than that, we represent him. So the way we live does matter. I regret to inform you that such things, much like what we're talking about in the temple, still happen today. Maybe it doesn't look exactly like what we see in Matthew 21, but such perversions do happen. For example, I was reading this week about a popular pastor who declared that Jesus is not the only way to salvation. Forget that the scriptures very clearly dictate that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He will not be the first one nor the last one, but this is a perversion of truth. Another popular pastor proclaimed this year that God doesn't actually change people. He just reveals to them the goodness that is already within them. But I thought that only the Father was good. I thought my righteousness was nothing more than filthy rags. I guess the scriptures got it wrong. Or perhaps this is another perversion of the truth. But it's more than just what is preached in the pulpit. I tend to stay away from things that can be viewed as overtly political. But I watched a video yesterday that came from Disney officials where they bragged about their in quotation marks, not secret at all, gay agenda. And the fact that they regularly, again, in quotation marks, add queerness to their children's programming. And you got to wonder why. Why include such perversion as a part of programming toward children? Perhaps it's because our culture knows that most adults are not easily swayed. We've already made up our minds about what is acceptable and what isn't. But if they could get our kids today, then tomorrow's adults will see things very differently. I share that to say that these things are the things that are invading our homes. And as Christians, we should not be okay with that things that the scripture has clearly identified as sin are becoming more and more acceptable and it is time for it to stop. Preachers used to tell us that we needed to throw out our televisions as it was a tool of the devil. Well, I'm not telling you that you need to throw out your television and that all television is bad. I am telling you that we need to cut off the head of the ungodly things that are trying to work their way into our homes because eventually it's going to become a part of the church as well. Some of that may include filters regarding what our kids watch and what they look at through online devices. Maybe it will include limiting the time that they have on such devices. Maybe it will include some form of accountability. But if we don't do something, the things that are defined as unacceptable in God's word are going to become a part of what is acceptable to God's people. And that is not okay. I mentioned accountability. I mentioned trying to filter the things that come into your homes. What if parents once again began to spend time doing devotions with their family, reading the word, making 
prayer a priority in the home? What if for every hour of television you watched, you had already spent at least an hour in prayer and in the word with your kids? Many of us love to watch TV for different things, sports. During football season, it won't be uncommon for you to sit in front of a TV for four, maybe even six hours on a Saturday where you'll watch your team and whatever other game is on, it doesn't even matter which one it is because we just get drawn in. What if our kids saw parents that were so excited about what God was doing in their lives and they saw that rather than just who was excited about the football game? Back to our passage, the first thing that we see is that Jesus halts the ungodly practices of the church. The second thing that I want you to see today is that Jesus then refreshes the purpose of the church. He doesn't just go in and turn over the tables and say, it's all bad, this is horrible. Let's put an end to all of it. Immediately after turning over the tables of the money changers, we see Jesus healing the blind and the lame within the temple. This is a reset moment within the temple. And I just want to point out how uncomfortable this must have been for the religious crowd of that day. On the one hand, they are probably already pretty angry with Jesus. He has just turned over the money-changing tables, and he has rebuked them for their own immorality. They likely wanted him arrested and maybe even killed at that very moment. But instead of Jesus ducking out through the crowd, kind of sneaking away, Jesus makes himself at home. And the next thing you know, he is surrounded by people in need of healing. And I don't want you to miss this, because honestly, I never saw it until this week in preparation for today's message. The mere presence of people in need of healing in the temple is a big deal. We read in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 18, it says, For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, a man blind or lame. Among the Jewish people, someone who was blind or lame was not welcome in the temple. But it would seem that those who participated in the triumphal entry have just wandered right into the temple alongside Jesus. It's a part of why we look and say, this is not two separate stories, but rather one continuous story. All these people are celebrating Jesus. He is the son of David. And as Jesus continues to the temple, they just come along with him. Many of them had probably never been in the temple previous to that day. So the priests aren't happy with Jesus' presence. And now they're not happy with the presence of all of these unclean people. In fact, you almost expect to hear the religious leaders talking amongst themselves about those people being present today. Maybe they even question why Jesus would surround himself with those people. But Jesus wasn't interested in all of their self-righteousness. Do you know that the temple was always intended to be a place where people could come and have an encounter with God? 
This was to be a place where people could find comfort and hope and healing. This was a place where people could go and find strength so they could in turn go out and change the world around them. Well, Jesus is refreshing the purpose of the church. This isn't some new idea. He is putting things back in order the way it was always supposed to be. My prayer for us as a church is that we will be the kind of church that fulfills God's purpose for the church. We ought to be a place where people can find healing and comfort and hope. We ought to be a place where people can hear God's calling and be empowered to answer that calling. We ought to be a place that is so welcoming to the broken in our world that they don't feel condemnation when they walk through the doors of the church, but rather they feel conviction. Those are two different things. Condemnation says there's no hope, there's no possibility of redemption. You deserve what you get. Conviction says you don't have to stay that way. You can be changed. You can be made new. Conviction is about recognizing that there is grace and there is freedom to all who will surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. That's what this church needs to be about. That's what the church as a whole needs to be about. Well, the self-righteous in the temple begin to complain as those who are being healed cry out in a similar manner to those who cheered earlier during the triumphal entry. Hosanna, praise, joy to the son of David. And they immediately appeal to Jesus. Not those who are saying, Hosanna, the self-righteous. They appeal to Jesus, aren't you going to do something about this? Don't you hear what these people are saying? And Jesus responds with a quote, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. We talked about the fact that Jesus came to put a halt to the ungodly practices. And Jesus refreshes or restores the purpose of the church. I want you to know that what he is doing here is perhaps one of the most encouraging things for any of us. Jesus is empowering the next generation of believers. You see, the established church, those who had run the temple, seemed to have missed it. They were so focused on their own agenda. They were so focused on staying in power that they had lost their identity. And a part of what Jesus is doing here is to say that I will build my church with the very same people that you would have kept out. And while you complain about what they say and the way they say it, I will instill them with a heart of praise. You would have thought that the people would have rejoiced. The religious leaders would have jumped on this. This is fantastic. Look at these unclean people being made clean. Listen to them praising the Lord. But they didn't. Sometimes it makes us a little bit uncomfortable when those who are outside the church come into the church. I remember several years ago, while serving in another church, I had a young man named Brian share his testimony with the church. His life had been marked 
with all kinds of addiction and defeat, yet Brian had met Jesus. In preparation for him sharing his testimony, he invited everyone who had been a part of his life prior to finding Christ, and he had grown up in that area, so he knew an awful lot of people. He wanted them to hear about the hope and the freedom that he had found in Jesus Christ. Well, that Sunday, our church was packed with more people than anyone could have ever imagined. To say that it was standing room only would not be a stretch. In fact, there were people lined up all along the back wall of the church and even on the sides of the walls with people standing to participate in that service. Prior to Brian standing up to share his testimony, I had one of our young ladies sing a special song, and it was beautiful. In fact, it was so beautiful that when she finished, one of the guests who was standing all the way in the back of the church said in a loud voice, loud enough so that everyone could hear him, that was the best blankety-blank song I've ever heard in my life. He did not use the term blankety-blank. That is not a phrase that probably would have come out of his mouth. The church went silent. And after a pause, I said, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> and then I invited Brian to come up and share his testimony. Following the service, I got to hang out with this young man who had that expression earlier in the service, and he shared that he had never been inside a church in his life prior to that Sunday. He needed that message, and he probably didn't even know that what he said wasn't okay. Just as Jesus surrounded himself with sinners and unclean people, I want us to be a church that is reaching the lost, instructing people to come just as you are, but also not expecting them to stay the same. Let's call out to the lost so that they may be found, but as we do, let us show them that they don't have to stay lost. They can be redeemed, they can be transformed, they can be set free. Jesus is saying, I'm going to build my church around the people that you didn't want. Man, I pray that we want them, because I want God to build this church on transformed lives. If you would, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Maybe you've allowed some things into your life that do not belong Maybe you've allowed some things into your home that do not belong. And God is saying today, no more. It does not need to continue. You do not represent me the way you ought to when you allow those things to happen. Maybe it's not in the home. Maybe there are things you even do at church. Maybe there are things that are a part of your lifestyle that are happening outside of your homes. It's time for us now to represent him in a way that honors him. No more. Maybe it's time for us to hit the reset button. If you know that you have allowed sin to exist in your life, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray as well. Father, as we come before you right now, we confess that we have allowed sin to exist within our lives, within our homes, within our workplaces, and yes, sometimes even within the church. 
We've allowed compromise, and it is not acceptable. So right now, we ask that you would forgive us where we have fallen short, and that from this moment forward, we would be able to walk as those who truly do represent you. But I pray that you would give us a heart for those who do not yet know you. Those who are on the outside that make us a little bit uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that you would use us to reach them for you. Father, I pray that the church would come alive just as it did in that temple that day, a church early in that morning before Jesus arrived, just as that church, that group of people had gathered for the ritual of church, it turned into something spectacular where the Lord showed up and did something great. I pray that you would show up and do something great in our midst. Father, I pray for each individual who is here that we would have a fresh infilling of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would give us true life. And Father, as you move within us, I pray that you would help us to become your tool to reach those who are lost around us. Again, I give you praise. We shout Hosanna to the son of David. We rejoice over your coming. Now fill us and use us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It is such a blessing to have each of you with us today. And if you're not excited about Easter, there's something wrong. Uh, Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and obviously we are very excited about that. You can do the math. I have just spent two Sundays dealing with the Palm Sunday story in Scripture. What that means, I'm probably not talking about that next week. However, I am going to talk about the cross, which sometimes we skip over throughout the Easter season, which is really crazy because without the cross, there's no opportunity for the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the cross and what that means to us specifically. We're going to look at some of the criminals that were there with Jesus. And I encourage you, maybe you've got lost family members, that they are still enslaved by sin. They are not they do not know the freedom that Jesus has to offer. Invite them. This will be a great week for them to hear the gospel message. We invite you to come back, bring someone with you if you can. Go in peace as you serve the Lord.